You're listening to episode 43 of the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we'll go to the USA. I, yeah, a few months ago, we have done the same with another episode. Today we go to the USA to see, uh, to see Michelle Lott. Uh, founder of the LeanRAQA.com, so it's a consulting firm in the US, and Michelle will help us to understand um, how to register our products in the US and to answer some of the questions that maybe you are asking yourself if you are in Europe and if you want to go uh, to the US market. So Michelle, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Hi Monir, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm also excited. I, as I said, uh, I, 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 we were connected on uh, on LinkedIn, so uh, I see a lot of uh, your activities there, also related to MDR. So you are not specialized only on FDA, but also the EU, EU market. So yeah. you are helping your customers on that. Uh, so yeah, I saw all your activities, and uh, you are really doing a great job. I saw some posts that you are doing some uh, cooldown of uh, when the MDR will be arriving. So it's really great. Hashtag MDR is coming. Exactly. Exactly. Tag MDI is coming, so mm-hmm. if you want to, to look at that. Uh, okay, so Michelle, just for the audience, can you just start to introduce yourself and also introduce your business, and then we can go uh, to, the, um, to the questions about how to register the products uh, to the U.S.? Sure. Um, my name is Michelle Lott. I own Lean RAQA. Um, I started the business and named it Lean because I'm particularly passionate about helping startups and small businesses find sustainable quality and regulatory solutions. Um, a lot of consultants treat uh, regulatory and quality like it's a one-stop shop and they have this quality system and they give the same thing to every customer over and over. And I just, um, across my career, just saw that being so big and bulky that, that the clients didn't have the resources to manage it and it created compliance issues. So um, my niche uh, client is small startups, uh, mid-sized companies that need customized, sustainable solutions. So great. Uh, so then um, you can really help us uh, to understand how to register our products in the U.S. Mainly, uh, we'll uh, focus on manufacturers that are in Europe and that want to um, export their products to U.S. So uh, my first question to you is mainly how they should uh, start uh, to register their products to U.S.? What exactly they should consider first? Yep. Um, so, you know, everybody knows that, that the classification in the U.S. is, is risk-based, class one, two, and three. Uh, class one devices, um, you know, typically are a little bit lower barrier to entry. And then class two devices are kind of mid-risk um, profiles. And then class three typically uh, life-sustaining, life-supporting implantables. But one of the big differences in the, the pathway between the U.S. and the EU is that the U.S. has what they, it's a three-letter product code that they call it. And that product code defines the definition of the device. 
the regulation associated with that product code um, has an intended use associated with it. Um, some, and so, so that, that three-letter product code is probably the single most important piece of information that a company needs to know about. So mainly, where then those manufacturers can find those product codes? So do we have a product code for every product or maybe there is some products that still don't have one? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a trick question too. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you start with the the product code database on the FDA website and you you come up with the most generic way that you could define your device. Like the a face mask or just mask or and then you put in and you see all the options that come up and you start going through them and eliminating okay that one's uh, oxygen mask not a face mask it's not mine and then um, you get come up with a handful of product codes that could fit your product okay. then you have to look up your intended use and then from the ones that sound like they could uh, fit your product what does the regulations intended you support? Um, and so to your point, the ones that don't have a product code yet are likely going to be going through what is called a de novo, okay. which is a request for class. It basically ends up in a classification with a new three-letter product code. Okay, so um, yeah, you just introduced a new uh, word, which is de novo. <laughs> yeah, so which is I, funny that you said new word because it means of new. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, what we know mainly from, from the FDA when we want to register our products is um, some 510K, I think is the most used way to register our mm-hmm. products. Uh, I know that there is a de novo, which is uh, starting to become famous. Uh, there is also some another one, I think is PMA. So there are a lot of pathways, if I can say, to register our products in, in the US. Uh, how, how our customers or how the, the manufacturers should choose between those ones? Yeah. Well, even that often comes back to that three-letter product code. So it's really important to get that right from the start um, because if a product code already exists, it tells you what class your product is, one, two, or three. And then it also um, tells you what submission path is associated with that product code. If it's a 510K, if it's a PMA, Um, where it gets a little tricky for if a de novo is appropriate is say you find a a product code that that may be close but not quite. And all the products that have been cleared under that have got, while they may be similar in some areas, maybe your product has new technology, new um, intended use or a new indication for use that goes beyond what that product code or those other products have. And in those cases, that's where you would would need to pursue the de novo. So it looks like um, if we are trying to go to the US, uh, you have, as you mentioned, first to go to a certain database to see all the product codes and everything. So, but you have to compare yourself to already existing products, I, I suppose. I know that the 510K is mainly looking for uh, predicates or an equivalent product. So um, how is it working then on, on those different things? So are you first looking for an equivalent products on the market or, and if you don't find, where are you going there? Yeah. Um, so the FDA is, is largely based on a concept called substantial equivalence. Now this is different from where like the clinical evaluations in Europe are moving, where it's 
you know, it, there's no substantial. It is identical or it's not, exactly. period. So substantial equivalence means that, that, that a certain amount of differences are allowed as long as they don't um, raise new questions of safety and efficacy. So if there is a case you can make within a 510K that, yes, these things are different, but they're not, don't raise additional risks, then you, 510K still may be viable for you. But if, if it raises, if there's enough differences that it raises new questions of safety and efficacy or intended use, indication for use, the FDA is going to want uh, to, to see more, more of a de novo path. Okay. Um, and what about the PMA? What is this thing? That, what is this thing? That's, that's the beast of all submissions. <laughs> exactly. Nobody yeah. wants to do this path. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, 510Ks can be between, uh, you know, 1,000, 1,500 pages. And that's a lightweight compared to the PMA. The PMA can be, like, I saw one that was 33 ring binders that were about, you know, three inches thick uh, a piece. So, and it was back in the day when they, that before FDA accepted e-copy. So, you know, just to ship it to the FDA was like thousands of dollars, you know. <laughs> so, uh, mainly, uh, PMA is mainly uh, like uh, the product is life-threatening. So, we have to make as many tests as possible, so a lot of clinical investigation to really prove to the FDA that our product is, is, is correct. Um, so this is the extreme. Let's go to the other extreme. So in Europe, we have the class one products, which are um, not risky at all. And even they are self-certified. So it means that we don't need a notified body. We just go um, through the path of creating the dossier and then we register the products in the country, but without going through a notified body. Is there the same situation in the US or not? So in, in the US, every device, regardless of its classification, if it's class one, Uh, obviously, it's 510K exempt. Most of them are. But then there's also a subset that are also GMP exempt, which means they're exempt from the bulk of the quality system regulations. So um, that's something that doesn't exist in Europe. No need of the, it means that it's, there is no need of a, a quality management system. Is it correct? Uh, correct, except for complaints and records. Okay. So you oh. still have to have those two elements, but you don't have to have supplier controls, production controls if it's GMP exempt. Okay. But even with that, that's not something that exists in Europe. Yeah. And, and even for devices that you self-certify, you're expected to have design controls, which in the U.S., class one devices, or the bulk of them are exempt from design controls, except for a, a handful. So I suppose mainly it's because the, the risk is really, really low. So there is no, and we know maybe the products very well. So there is no need to really take care of, of this or there is no real issue on the market about that. Right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're almost borderline enforcement discretion. Okay, so mainly, so uh, it's a good point because we, I want to also talk to you about the GMP or, uh, or your quality management system uh, in the US. So mainly we have the product now, uh, we know the classification, we know then the path we have to go to register the products to, to the US. Um, what about the quality management system? In Europe, we are mainly using ISO 13485. Uh, what are you using in the US? 
So in the U.S., uh, 21 CFR 820 is still the law. It's still regulation. Um, and I know that the FDA has been talking about adopting ISO 1345. Well, that's tricky. The law... The 21 CFR is law. Exactly. ISO is a voluntary standard. And so, and it changes every three years. Exactly. It's, it's, so, a, it's a literal act of Congress to so, get a change in the regulation passed. So, so mainly we have, uh, the, I think the, the Canada also started to do the same by removing the, uh, some of their uh, regulation to put them in a kind of a, a common pot with the, with the MDSAP. Um, so U.S. now thinks about that, but what would be the advantage for U.S. to maybe move to ISO? Is there something that um, will be helping them or it's better or it's because it takes too much time to maintain a quality management system uh, low? You know, I, I really think that, that the difference in the U.S. is going to be in the inspection technique. Okay. Because right now, um, uh, the U.S. Uh, the inspectors use uh, what's called QSIT, the Quality System Inspection Technique. Yep. All of the auditors have been, or not inspectors, have been trained to, to this particular methodology. And it's very different in the thought process to the ISO-based audits, which are a little bit more checklist and element-by-element element driven. Um, so while uh, ISO audit technic, they, they do look for that system interaction, they have to make sure they cover every item on their checklist, and the FDA is not checklist driven. They are system driven, and if they find a problem in one system, they, they follow it all the way through your quality management system. No, it's, it's really true. Uh, so I had uh, the chance to, or the non-chance, to uh, be uh, audited by notified bodies and by FDA. And uh, <laughs> you're right, the technique is really different. I think one is uh, as soon as I, uh, you are guilty until I find that you are not, when the other is more that, uh, yeah, until I don't find anything, you are you are fine. So there is, there is no issue. So it's, it's really a different mentality, but uh, yeah, really... People that um, have to reserve an uh, FDA auditor uh, have also to understand that it's not really the same way that uh, they, are, they are expecting from, from a notified body. So it's not really... Right. You know that we, there was a lot of information that you can not show to them, like uh, management review information or like... Uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that we, we, we should not show to them, but show that the process or the system, as you mentioned, is working, but no need to show all the details of what is inside. So, so it's also something that is... Uh, is so that's something that a lot of people don't realize about Metasap is that the FDA does not accept the Metasap certificate they, they take the report, they read it and audit the report for themselves and make sure they agree. Okay. Well, you know what's in the report? Internal audits, management review, supplier audits, all the stuff that the FDA inspectors can't look at. Exactly. So it's, it's exactly that we, we had to hide or not to show to them. Yeah, it's, it's, correct. it's open kimono, you know? So just one thing also, because I had also this experience with the FDA uh, as an auditor. So uh, in the U.S., they can come uh, to audit you um, without any further notice or maybe one or two days of notice. Uh, but in Europe, um, they have to inform you, I think, three months in advance. 
Well, they, Europe has started, as a, especially as a result of MDR, but even in advance of MDR, uh, required unannounced at least supplier audits. Okay. Um, and so I've had several clients that have had notified bodies show up on their door. And like in every notified body that I've signed a contract with over the last year has got the, one of the first questions they ask is give us your holiday schedule. Okay. So, so we know when not to come. And if we come and you're closed, we're still billing you and we're coming back. Yeah, true. No, it's, it's exactly that. I think I had, a, I had a, an episode with Unannounced Audit uh, uh, with uh, Florent Guillon. So I will just put uh, the link for, for that. And yeah, it was clearly that uh, you have to mention your holidays. You have to tell when you are here or not, uh, that uh, the auditors are not surprised coming and knocking at the door and nobody's there because, yeah, they're, they're, it's important also for, for them. But uh, yeah, it's great. So um, thank you, Michel, for all those information. I think it's really um, interesting for all those manufacturers that are trying to uh, conquer the, the U.S. market, and I hope they will <laughs> they will make it. Um, but um, mainly, what can you do, or what are you doing actually, to help those manufacturers to uh, to enter the U.S. market? Well, you know, it's a lot of education for my customers, and some of them are learning by trial and error. <laughs> by letting the getting in trouble with the FDA and then yeah. saying, oh, hey, Michelle, when you said that we should do so-and-so, now would be a good time to do that because okay. the FDA just called. Um, so trying to, to cut that learning curve for the clients, um, I have a lot of videos about this process on my website that any of your fans can, can look up to try to get, get better informed. And then um, I also, I mentioned it at the, at the start of our, our talk is that I customize the solutions, but I can also customize a staffing plan for you. So if you're not in a position to, to have a regulatory quality person on staff, we can build a system for you and then run it for you as well. Um, so that, that's another way that, that I, can, I can be helpful um, is, is keeping that overhead low and, and, and keeping you compliant at the same time. No, it's great. And uh, mainly you are, as I've said, supporting uh, customers in the U.S. and also customers out of U.S. So um, is it only Europe or you have also some kind of uh, customers in uh, Asia Pacific or uh, some other countries? Yep, I have customers all over the world. Okay. Um, so I, 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 I am uh, diverse. I take, I take customers from, from everywhere. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so I saw some dogs uh, running out. So I know that on, the, on, the, on LinkedIn, you are also featuring them because uh, they are kind of your associates there. So uh, what are their mission there? <laughs> right, right on cue, this, this one came up and asked to be held. And her name is Lucy. And unless I paint it pink, she has a natural blonde mohawk. Okay. She has a splash of Chinese crested in her. Oh, great. Wow. Nice. Really nice. So, the, so there's Lucy. Okay. She's the chief therapy officer or the CTO. Okay. She's responsible for snuggles. <laughs> and the boy dogs have... So they're, they're, I call the, the boy dogs the chief fun officers. Okay. Great. And so... Uh, <laughs> and, and they're also... Um, I made a joke that I'm going to, I'm going to sell the business and go champion pug dive coach. Okay. <laughs> because the pug is the swimmer and he loves doing belly flops in the pool. No, it's great. Uh, as I said, I'm really enjoying uh, seeing all your content on LinkedIn. So uh, I really encourage all the people to, uh, to go to follow you. Uh, can you mention again your hashtag that you are using always? 
Hashtag MDR is coming. MDR is coming. (laughs) Sometimes we put it up with a a picture of the puppies. Like, oh, it's okay. It's going to be stressful, but we have puppies. Lower your blood pressure and and get you through this. Yeah, I'm also I'm also uh, putting now kind of a post on LinkedIn where I say accept. uh, You know what I say? uh, Keep calm and accept MDR. So because a lot of people (laughs) are starting to think about this, don't think too much. Just accept it and move forward. So maybe we should use each other's hashtags. Like they always go together. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, it's great. So uh, Michelle, something else for the audience? Let me know how I can help. Yeah, so I think uh, for that, uh, please let me know where they can find you. So I suppose LinkedIn, as we said, um, I will put also the, the link, I think, of your website. So leanqra.com. Uh, uh, yeah, lean. uh, leanqra.com, sorry, leanqra.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, so then people can contact you directly and uh, I hope um, they, can, uh, they can ask you uh, the question, difficult questions so that you can answer yeah. them and customize <laughs> as you mentioned your services to them. So great. Okay, yeah, send, so, send me the questions and me and Manir can have another uh, podcast. Exactly. This is what, always what I'm asking. If you have some questions, please let us know uh, so that I can uh, also um, bring back Michelle uh, so that she can try to answer to us. And uh, maybe if you are going to the U.S. and you have a difficult question or a difficult situation, let me know and I will, um, I will uh, invite again Michelle uh, for, for another episode. Okay, so Michelle, really thank you for your help and thank you for all the information you provided. I think it was really valuable for, for the audience and, uh, and I wish you a nice day. Yeah, thank you, Manir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.